Revelation chapter 3. We're in the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis is where we really began to see what's happening in our day. And it does go on through. And in my estimation, and many, many other people, we're in the Laodicean age, the last church. And so we looked at these churches together so far, and we've seen a lot of different things. But we live, according to the scriptures, we live in very dangerous times. And the reason they're dangerous is because, and I believe this, the church has failed. The church's failures is what's wrong with the world. Christian behavior and attitudes and, and shortcomings is what's wrong with the world. Now, I've heard I'm harsh, and I've heard other preachers say, you can't make those statements. But listen, the Lord said, you repent of these things or else. And it's not the or else of a bully or someone who's just a protagonist. It's the or else of you'll suffer at your own hand. The consequences will be devastating, the Lord says. Through the Holy Spirit, the teaching, God the Father, this revelation of Jesus Christ is from God. The first verse of Revelation says, God revealed Christ. And if you look with me back in the first of the Gospels, it was Christ revealing God. Jesus the Son came to reveal the Father in his kingdom. The revelation is the Father from his kingdom revealing the Son. This is who he is. And it gives those qualifications of the first chapter that are tremendous. His eyes are flames of fire. His feet are burnished brass. His hair is white as uh, snow, white as wool. And, and then the Bible says, actually, you can't, I can't tell you how white that is. There's nothing to compare it to. He has a, he has a, a girdle around his waist, gold. It's his strength. It's his core. It's the strength of God. And so we see from this church now, the qualified messenger brings us this message. He says now to the angel uh, of the church of Sardis, right? These things saith he that has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name and thou livest. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found thy works perfect before God remember remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent if therefore thou shalt not watch I will come to thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee upon thee thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now we're dealing with a, a subject matter here this morning that very few people enjoy listening to or want to hear 
or worse will accept. And that is the garments of Christ. The garments of Christ. And I've done a lot of weddings in my life. I've done a lot of weddings. I got a couple more slated for this spring. Two more weddings. And don't you know the, the bridal gown's a big deal? Did you know that? Did you know the, the bridal gown is a big deal? Boy, mom and daughters get together and they spend hours and days and dollars and you know, gotta look. And I, I want to tell you something, the truth, truth of the matter. Young girl coming down the aisle in the right relationship is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Something gives, um, I always thought, God gives something to a bride on her day. God gives her something. And it's to encourage the husband is what it is. It's, uh, she's beautiful. She really is radiant. I've seen some people in, in marriage counseling, I thought, well, okay, ooh. I hope you can clean that up a little bit. But on their wedding day, it's, a, it's amazing the transformation of a bride on her wedding day. And the Lord says, we're the bride of Christ. And when we stand before him one day, not, not during the judgment, but at the wedding feast and in the New Jerusalem, he's going to present us to the Father. He's going to present us to the Father without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We'll be a chaste virgin before the Lord. Isn't that tremendous? We'll be chaste. We'll be virginal. We'll be clean. We'll be spotless before the Lord. That's how he's going to present us. But we want to look into this this morning. I want the church to see this with me. So we start back. And last week I gave you an overview so you could read and think and consider. And now we're going to look at the scriptures pertaining to these things. He says in verse 2, now this is the... This is the angel that has the seven spirits of God. And so one thing that we do know for sure is he presents himself as the characteristic of the problem the church has, the answer to the problem of that church. The problem of this church is they do not rely on, respect, or understand the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the work of the Spirit. This is a church. They're dead because they're doing it in their effort. They are doing, they have a name that they alive. There's a, there's a church going on, there are people there, there's a ministry going on, quote-unquote ministry, but it's in the power of the flesh. And the Lord said, you're dead, you're already dead. You're barely alive. Very feeble church. And folks, I want to say this, that if that's what we were doing here this morning, I'd rather be home having bacon and eggs. If that's what we were doing here this morning, if we were coming here in our flesh, in our power, to be good people, to do good things, to be known as good people, I'd rather not be here. It's just a waste of time. But the Lord said this, I am the messenger that comes in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit of God. I'd rather be with three people on Sunday morning that have that than a thousand people who don't. There's things called churches all over this country. Boy, there's some good ones, though. There, there's good and there's not good. But I'd rather, be, I'd rather be with a few that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live out and let the Spirit rule their lives and try to and absolutely want to surrender to the, to the Holy Spirit than a thousand people who are here with a beautiful choir. All the instruments and the footlights and the stages and all. That's not, that's, there's nothing there. 
There's absolutely not, matter of fact, it's not nothing, it's less than nothing, it's a negative. And so we have this, and the Lord says the first thing is be watchful. And when he said be watchful, we look up the word and it says wake up. Wake up and strengthen the things which thou hast that remain. Now if you look in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul addressed this to the people at Rome in the latter part of his letter. And he said this concerning Christians. These are, these are people that believe. He's talking to believers. And he said, Romans 13 and 11 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. For the night is far spent, and the day is at hand. So what do we do? What does it mean to wake up in the church of God? What does it mean to wake up? Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's an awake church. Cast off darkness. How do we do that? Okay, cast off darkness, the works of darkness. How do we do that? Let us walk honestly as in the day. I have a friend who's an ex-police officer. And I was talking to him one day about this, and Janet was in the room, and we were discussing these things, and talking about his years in the police as a police officer. And he said, after dark, it's a very different world out there. I, I, I never knew that. He said, I'm telling you, after dark, it's a different world. Things come up from the underside. There's just things go on. And the old farmers used to tell me that. Boy, I was late one day to throw some hay for a fellow, and I, I was late. And I, I said, I was out late last night. And he said, what were you doing? Don't even tell me. He said, nothing, nothing good happens after dark. I mean, 1, 2 a.m., but dark, I mean. And he said, I'm telling you, a good, honest boy will be home before the sun goes down. Nothing good happens after dark. Talking to my friend, and he said this. I couldn't even believe what, I, what happened after dark, the difference in the, the whole feeling of the world. He said, mostly people are in their homes with the door shut and the lights on, television, radio, books, they're doing something, but they're inside... These are those people that are out in the monks and doing things after dark. I'm talking about, and later it gets the worse it is. What does Paul say Christians are supposed to do? Live honestly. And I said, what happened after dark? And he told me some things. I said, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me. But we're to, we're to walk honestly. I'm not, I'm not supposed to do anything outside this church I wouldn't do in, in the pulpit. I'm not supposed to be different on Tuesday afternoon in any situation than I am right here in the pulpit on Sunday morning. I'm not supposed to be like that. And if I am, I want you to tell me. We're not supposed to be any different in any other circumstance, any relationship, any other place than we are right here on Sunday morning. 
And if we are, it's, we're called hypocrites and liars by, by Jesus Christ. And he says, don't think you're going to be rewarded from me. It's not going to happen. And so we're to walk honestly as in the day, not rioting or drunken, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying, but what? But ye put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust. What's the answer? Do you see how clear that is? Do you know how many people tell me to stop saying those things one way or another? Here's what I hear. Here's what I hear. And people will come and tell me their story, and I'll say, because you're living nasty. Did you know nasty is a bad word now? It, it, when I was a kid, most things were nasty. They were either clean or nasty. Take that out. Why? It's nasty. Get it out of here. The garbage is nasty. The trash gets nasty. The bathroom gets nasty. You got seven boys, your bathroom be nasty. Clean it up. It's nasty. I don't want that. Why? Oh, that's nasty. I, I grew up with that word, and I use it a lot still, because I really believe there are some nasty things in the world. People take such offense at that. I say, well, your lifestyle is nasty. And if you say you're a Christian and you're living that lifestyle, guess what? And here's what they say to me. Oh, I know I'll lose some things, but this is what I want to do. That sounds so nice on the surface. I understand and I get it. I'm going to do these things. It's, it's walking up to Jesus and spitting in his face. He's saying, I don't care that you died for me. I'm going to live for me. I don't care that you died for me. I, I accept that. I want a Savior, boy. I, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want that so much. I want to go to heaven. But I don't want a Lord here. I don't want you to tell me to live honestly circumspectly to live a clean life I don't want to hear that I don't want, I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do you see and, but you know what you told me in three sermons last year I heard it three times you can't lose your salvation I'm going to go to heaven when I die yeah and you're going to be in the cheap seats in the kingdom you're going to be in the outer darkness and people say you're preaching heresy look it up for yourself if you're honest enough to study if you really will get down on your knees and ask God he'll tell you this Two of the places the outer darkness is mentioned is outside the kingdom, outside in the lost. Three of the places he mentions outer darkness is so far from the light, so far from the presence of Jesus Christ because you didn't live for him, you didn't love him, you didn't do his work, you didn't do his bidding, you did what you wanted to do, and you did not, you did not, care about the lust of the flesh as far as the provision being wiped away. You live from day to day in your wants and your, your desires. Now I have a group of pastor friends who say that's a hot topic, I don't touch it. But the Lord called me to touch it. The Lord called me to be the man to stand up and say this, you will be so glad one day and that day will carry on forever. It's not just you're going to get a pat on the head and, a, and, a, and your choice of dinner that night. 
you're going to be rewarded forever and where and be known as in the kingdom of God forever the person who bowed to Jesus Christ. This is my obedient son. This is the one, believe me. Did he believe me and then he loved me? And this is the one who loved me more than he loved his flesh. And though, and though he had to say no to a lot of things in this life, he did because he loved me and wanted to honor me. And that's why I tell you this, and I say it often. One way or another, I want to tell you this. You young people listening to me, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, my kids, my grandkids are getting old enough, I'm going to wear them out. And I, I want to be there when dates start showing up. Just to watch. Because I have a concealed carry. I want to watch and I want to see what's going on. And I'll tell you something. When you, as a Christian, as a person, as a human, when you make decisions early, the choices are made. You don't have to decide, decide, and decide, and, and ponder, and hope, and wish, and think, and, and, and weigh out. When you make young decisions, I mean decisions when you're young, I will or I will not be involved in certain things. The choices are made. Praise God. You do not have to get in peer pressure and then say, but you know, everybody, it doesn't matter. I don't care if everybody else that I know is doing it. If the Lord told me no, the answer is no. Now that sounds pious from me, and I haven't always done it. That sounds very pious. I'm just telling you I know this to be true. I've lived it, I've, I've learned it, and I've watched the people who deny it, and their lives are a mess. And you can always spot them, because they're always, they got to be the one who knows everything, they got to be the one, the funniest, the fastest, they got to be sarcastic and hateful, and they got to be bitter, and they got to know more about politics than you ever knew, and they got to know more about the Bible, and they knew more than you'll ever know. And they're good. I'm good. No. You're pitiful. And I get up every morning because I made a decision against the Lord. And now i got to keep making choices. And I feel worse in my spirit every day because I'm making choices. I know it. The Lord knows it. But you know what? I can't, I can't go to hell or anything, can I? It's everywhere in the Bible. It's everywhere through the Word of God. Everywhere. This is not one verse that is, that's how you take it, subject to interpretation. It is all the way through the Word of God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh. I stand with you if you think parenting is a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. We're, it's parenting is wonderful. It can get ugly if it's not done well. Uh, they do turn in like puppies to dogs. They turn into teenagers. And they start bringing people home with them. It's fascinating to watch. And um, babies are great. Children are good. Young adults are, we live through it. And we all suffer together. And that's not true of all people. That's not true. But teenagers are people trying to grow up, trying to get some authority of their own, trying to be a person, trying to 
and uh, young boys with their dads and girls with their moms are fun to watch. And and uh, most boys I know get get a little bit older and they come back to dad and say sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the real good dads say, you know, I, I had my wrong moments too. How about we just love each other now? I did the best I could of what I had. We were trying to be a man, and that's, we had some days, but we're good. That's, that's part of the process, and that's honesty. But the Lord says to this church, be watchful. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found my work perfect before God. How do we do that? Remember. Can you tell me the day that you were saved? Not that you don't have to give me a calendar date, but don't you remember when you accepted Jesus Christ? Do you remember that day? How good it was? I do. I remember. Light came on. I heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it, and one day I heard it. My heart heard it one day. About 10 years old. You know, I thank God for that. He showed me as a boy. Some people get old before they ever get it, and most people never get it. Now think of the blessing of telling a 10-year-old boy, man, I was a failure at everything I did. School wasn't going well. Big family full of people. The house wasn't in order how it should be. We had problems. We had death and we had a lot of different things. And I was just confused and scared. And the Lord came to me and spoke to my heart one day. Brought it all home. I'm so grateful. Very grateful. But you remember the day you were saved. You remember the day that you um, asked or received a marriage proposal? day and you came to a preacher or you went somewhere and you said we want to get married will you marry us and I said well I don't see why you want to both of you should just but anyway I said yeah I'll do that and we have some marriage counseling I tell them if you don't live for the Lord your life's going to be a waste anyway and they look at me like I'm crazy like a cyclops Isn't very long when they're coming in and saying we think we're going we're to disband. We're going to break this thing up. What happened? One day you asked her to marry you. One day you said yes. One day you came to me with a grin on your face and asked me if I'd do the ceremony and get you married so you could have your honeymoon and get life going. And you did. tell you a lot of things happen. Stressful situations come, financial problems come, work is difficult. Things happen and we drift away. And the Lord's answer to every one of the problems is of, of, of love itself is remember. Remember when you were dating used to sit on top of each other in the car. 
she used to be so close to you in the car that you looked like a two-headed monster from the back. Now she's clinging to the passenger window like Spider-Man. And if you hear something she says, it's because it's reverberating off the glass. She's not talking to you. She's just talking now. What happened? Things happen. And in the course of life and things happening, the warning over and over is to not get bitter. Don't get mad at the other person. We're not the first or the last to live through these issues. But most people will point fingers and say, it's your fault. And if they don't do it verbally, they'll do it in their mind and their heart, and there'll just be a, a division between them. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. There are promises in the Bible. He stood on the altar and promised me a life that he didn't bring me. I don't feel it at all. Why are you here this morning? I don't think he loves me anymore. I don't feel what I felt for him before. Somehow it's diminished. It's gone. A lot of it's gone, and I don't want to be part of this anymore. In the Christian life, we read promises to the Christian people. And there are many, and I'm telling you, they're very good. But they're conditional. They're conditional. Just like in our marriages on this earth, we are united with Jesus Christ. He's the head, we're the body. He's the Lord, we're the servant. And if you don't fulfill the conditions, I guarantee you'll be disappointed. I guarantee it. He has no obligation to fulfill a promise to a person not living under his authority. None. None. That's where the rub comes in the church today. Living outside the conditions of Christ, demanding the promises, and not getting them. It's interesting to me, being in real estate, the contracts are very specific. And when you don't fulfill your end of the contract, you don't meet the conditions, you will not get what you contracted for. But in Christ, we think it's different because we believe he loves us different than other people. This is what it says. He says, now, remember where you heard these things and how you heard them. More interestingly, he said, remember how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. Speaking to his son. And can I tell you this? I will tell you as honestly and as openly and as forthright as I can what God tells me from the Word of God. But when I'm talking to my son, there's a different thing. You believe that? I will tell you as honestly and pray for you and encourage you and help you. But when I'm talking to my son, I have more invested. Now we're talking about the lives of my grandchildren. We're talking about my family, future genetics, DNA. You know if these people come in and have uh, marriages with your children? DNA is huge. Well, it is in our family. DNA is, is huge. It's amazing to me people will say, well, I don't know, that's, a, that's what she wants to do. 
She's in a six-month place in her life where she can't think if she has to, and she's going to make all of her life decisions right now. You're good with that? Will you look at who she's marrying? How could you say that? Well, six months, they're back. Don, can you fix this problem? No, I can't. No, I can't. Do you know this morning that when Jesus, when God the Father and the, and the, and the creation and the world, do you know the story of the flood? To me, and, and a, a long life of study of the flood and what happened there, and it says, and after that, angels came down again, fallen angels came. You know what that was? That was a manipulation interruption in DNA. That made the DNA chain different. That's why God is so interested in the blood. That's why he's so interested in the family lines and the blood and the teaching your children and laying it out before your children and your children's children to the fourth and fifth generations, telling them who Jesus is, what Christ is, who God is, and what they're doing. That's why he's so interested in the bloodlines, in my estimation, as I study the word of God, because the angels came down, the fallen angels came down, and they, they married and, and had children with the women, the beautiful women in their estimation, the beautiful women. And now there are different races in the world. So they were huge people. They were giants that went around just slaughtering people because they could. They'd just chop heads off. They'd walk through villages and just decapitate people because they could. There's an angry DNA. There's a different DNA. There's a, there's a Luciferian or, or reptilian DNA. Who we marry is huge. Who we bring into the family is huge. What Jesus said. Here's what the Proverbs chapter 2 says. My son, if, and look at all the ifs with me. If thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. If you'll receive my words. How many times have we spoken and we've begged and we've asked and we've talked to our children and we knew when we left the room they did not receive the words. But if you'll receive the words and hide my commandments so that thou shalt incline thine ear to wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, if you cry after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then you see the condition. The condition is if you will receive it, will you apply yourself, will you listen, will you try to understand, will you take it with this, I want to do what's right attitude. Will you listen to me? Will you receive it? I've given gifts, I've given gifts to people they wouldn't take. I've, I've put my hand out and people wouldn't respond and stick their hand out to shake my hand. I've done funerals and weddings particularly where it's a different crowd I've never known before and they think I said something that was off or harsh or whatever and they walk by and I'll stick my hand out and they just put their hand behind their back. Very mature. Very mature. And I know why they don't like what I said. They're about that big. I'm not saying I'm always right, but I'm saying the attitude is, can I talk to you? What do you mean by that? What was that about? That's, that's maturity. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that hurts my feelings. You won't stick out your nasty paw to me. That just makes me feel bad about myself. I'm going to go home and cry. Not let people see me. You know what, people, honestly? 
We live in the days when you open the Bible as a preacher in a setting like that and half the people are angry. But those are the conditions. And verse 5 says, then, because if you do, if, verse 1, if, verse 3, if, verse 4, if you do these things, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. You want to be uh, someone who understands and has real knowledge? It, it's here. This is where it comes from. I want to say again, and I have, I have the great and high estimation of education. But the danger is in people thinking they're smart. Education is a wonderful thing. We should all be as much as we can. But the danger lies in people thinking they're smart. If you think you're smart, I'm telling you, you're not going to hear, you're not going to apply properly. If you believe that you're really smart. I have uh, been around a lot of people for a lot of years who believe they really have something going on between those ears and behind those eyeballs when actually not much. They've heard a lot of things and they've regurgitated on tests. But as far as wisdom and understanding, very little. Now you say, well, that's an estimation of an uneducated, uneducated man. And it is. It is. I'm not educated in their school system. But can I tell you, the Lord gives understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. Proverbs 4 and verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words and incline thine ears to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life. They are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Isn't that pretty good? Attend to my words. Listen to what I say. Depart. Do not depart for their life. The words we find in the Word of God are actually life to us. And so he says, remember. We get to verse 4. Well, in chapter 3 it says, If thou will not, therefore, if thou therefore shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and I, thou shalt not know the hour that I come. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 2 very quickly says this, For ye yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, and travail as travail upon a woman with a child. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Did you ever notice how Paul uses us, they, and we? They are, they are, they are, they are, but we are. It's us and them, folks. And Paul knew it, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it. In this world, it's a battle. This is a battlefield. We're not to be angry people. We're not to be hateful people. But we're at war with the dark minions and the spirits from the underworld. We live in that world. 
And when people see their children being overtaken by those things, they let it pass. I don't understand it. It says in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, But when they shall say, and they shall not escape. Verse 4 says, but we. Verse 5 says, and ye. Verse 6 says, us. Let us watch and be sober. Now I want to take the last few minutes and I want to discuss something that's very difficult for the church to get a hold of. And it's why I am not liked very much in the world and I'm good with it. But I want to, I want to say it's here again and we need to take a look at it. He says this. To a church who is a functioning church, a going church, he says you have a name that you're alive, but I know you're dead. And I know you're dead because you haven't remembered what you started out with. You've drifted away from me. This is very much like the message to the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. He says you don't remember the power, the working of the Holy Spirit. You don't remember who you are in Christ. You don't remember what salvation brought you and gave you. You don't remember that. You're living a whole different lifestyle now than you did when you were freshly born. That's why I ask you this. Do you remember when you got saved? you remember the joy of that? you remember thinking everybody was, was going to want to hear your story? The craziness of that kind of thinking? I think everybody's going to want to hear this and think, wow, thank you for telling me you're my best friend for life. And I tell them, and they say, shut up. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. I don't believe, I don't believe that. I say, well, I may have got some things wrong, but let me read the Bible again. I was a little kid, and I say, yeah, that's what it says. It says that in there. I had my brother read it to me. It says that. The preacher said it on Sunday. I looked at the passage. My brother read it to me. That's what it says. John 3.16, everlasting life. And as a 10-year-old boy, I knew this much. If God doesn't know what everlasting means, we're all in trouble. If God doesn't understand everlasting, we are all definitely in trouble. And so I tell people, and so it, it didn't go over well to tell third-year-old, uh, third-grade school friends they were going to hell. But um, their parents got involved, and the principal got involved. But it never changed anything in my heart. I just thought, okay, I've got to approach this different. I've got to threaten them first so they don't tell. I gotta, I gotta, I'm bigger than most of them. I'm going to lay on them in the playground and talk in their ear. But I thought, I've got I to gotta approach this thing different. So I laid in bed and I thought about it and I prayed about it when I was a little boy. And I thought, here's the answer. Don't go tell them they're going to hell. Go tell them how they can go to heaven. And it worked. I went and said, oh, man, the Bible so good. You know, Jesus came and died on the cross, and so we can all go to heaven. All we have to do is believe it, accept it, and allow him to be our Savior. I didn't get much back. I didn't get angry retorts. I, I, a lot of people didn't believe it, clearly, but I'm telling you this. It got real easy then, and people just said, yeah. He, so I, I became that guy. Oh, yeah, that, you know, okay, no, he, he believed that stuff. Good for you, they said. I don't believe it. I want to say to you this morning, I got, <coughs> I got saved 54 years ago, and I believe it more every day. I believe it with, a, I believe it with a, a excited heart at 10, 
And at my age, I just absolutely. So much so that when the doctor says, today's your last day, I think I'll even have joy in that. Praise God. I've been there a couple of times, and I thought, oh, good, I get to go home today. <coughs> I get to go home and be part of a nice family. A nice community, a nice group that like me. I get to go home and be around some real honest people that don't talk to you one way in there and talk about you there. I get to be all in a place where I walk in my own business in the morning and people just turn and look around. I know what they've been doing. Discussing me. It's a great topic, I get that, but it's I they they're discussing me. I walk in and they just clam up a little bit and I go, Okay, what do you think you're gonna do different from what I said? And they just look around at each other. <laughs> yeah, come on. If you work in where I, where I, I'm the most lenient person I've ever known. I'm just the truth. As, as, a, as an owner, I'm the most lenient person I've ever known. That's not a brag. That's just I don't care enough to put my effort into it. I'm like, do what you got to do. I guess I'm, I'm leaving. But people love to talk. And you're going to be the reason they're having problems. I don't care. And I don't care. Here's what I want to get to. The Lord says, there's a few of you, even in this church, that is dead. There's a few of you, one here and one there, that will walk with me in white one day because you're worthy. A few of you. The Lord used that word few before in the, the many and the few, you remember? A few will be going to heaven. But the many will be lost. They're taking the wrong road. They're on the wide gate, the easy gate. You can take all your baggage on that gate. You can take all of your lust and your... your you can do everything your flesh wants to do and go on that, on that road, and no one's going to stop you. And, and it says heaven above there. It's a lie. It's deception. But it says heaven above that great, big, open, wide road. And you can take all the stuff that you want. You can take all your money and all your, all your pride and all your credentials and all your winnings. You can take all that on there. Take your reputation down that road. You can take everything you want on that wide road, but the narrow gate is a turnstile, and you've got to drop everything to get through there. And the Lord said, there's a few of you that have done that in my church even. Even in this dead church, there's a few of you. There's a remnant. There's always a remnant. And I want to talk to you about that. He said, there's a few of you that shall walk with me in white because you're worthy. If you can go back in your Old Testament and find Zechariah, Zechariah with an E, not an A. Not Zechariah, Zech, they're pretty close. Toward the end of the Old Testament, Zech, Z-E-C-H, Zechariah. Zechariah, chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Joshua was a priest. He showed me Joshua. Are you there? He found it. Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? 
So here's the high priest. And Satan's standing there before the Lord ready to accuse him. I'll just make this very personal. So I'm the pastor of this church, whatever that means to you. I'm the one who preaches. I love that. Pastoring, not so much. Preaching, I love. I'm the one that's the head of this church as far as a messenger according to the word of God. I'm the messenger of the church. And if the Lord came in today and Satan came in today, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. Satan could point at me, stick his finger in my face, and say he's got some sin in his life. He's, dirty, he's got some dirt in his life. And I'd have to say he's right. Lord, he's right. I fail at some things. I, I sin. I do. Come on, don't be so shocked. It happens. No, do. You do, I do. We sin. The high priest here had... Satan accusing him before the Lord. I want you to see how this plays out. It's so important. And verse 3 says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. God uses the word filthy. Why can't I? It, it, they're filthy. His garments are filthy. And he stood before the angel. Now, Joshua, uh, I'm going to read you one verse out of Isaiah. It's 64 in, in verse 6. And it says, We are all as an unclean thing, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's, that's, who, that's the estimation of God in people's flesh. You see that with me? Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. For unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. I will clothe thee with garment with a change of raiment. What's going on? He's standing there in filthy rags. Satan is saying he's filthy. And the Lord said, Shut up. I've already judged you, Satan. This is my man. And folks, you and I were plucked as a brand from the fire. You and I were taken from hell into salvation. We were plucked as a brand from the fire. You go back to Jude and it said, and save some who will even go to heaven with their garments smelling like smoke. We were, pl we were plucked from hell when we were saved. We were taken from <coughs> such a bad place and, and delivered to such a good place. And, and that's what God wants us to be thankful for. When I was uh, younger and the kids were small, and they're real little, and some of you people, the young kids, know this now. They'd run around the house on Sunday morning, pretty much in their underwear, until it was time to go. Why did we do that? So you could put something on them and push them out the door, and they couldn't get something on it. You don't, you don't put kids in their good clothes before breakfast, or a ten-minute span while you're getting dressed. It doesn't work too good. And so the kids sat around in their underwear, played, and did, went to their room after they cleaned up, and breakfast was being put away, and we dressed them right before we went out the door. Because I wanted their garments to be clean. They'd defile their garments if I didn't do that. You remember those days? How about my family? Every brother I have, you can tell what they had for lunch by looking at their shirt right about here. Right there. Huh? 
breakfast. That's why you're fat. You have salsa and gravy. That's not a meal, that's a trough. What are you doing? But it's good. And the reason it's here is because it can't go any farther. There's a ledge. There's a wall. There's a stoppage. But our garments get defiled. I want you to hear what God said with me. He says again in verse 3, Take away the filthy garments from him. For unto him he saith, Behold, I, who causes it? I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. That's a turban, a clean turban. So they set a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua. He got on him. The Bible says the angel of the Lord told, here's what he told Joshua. God has, God has forgiven your sin and given you clean clothes now. You're standing in clean before the Lord. Listen to the condition. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways. Listen now. If you'll walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. What did he say? I've forgiven you. And I've cleaned you up. Stay clean. If you do what I told you to do, and you do it and obey me, you'll walk, you'll walk among the nations. You'll, walk, you'll, you'll so stand out from the crowd that people will say, that's God's man, that's God's woman. You know why? They honor him. They're keeping his charge. They're doing what he said to do. Or you can be that person that's living outside, making full excuses. You're the loudest person in the room. Ah, everybody has to look at you. You know all the funny stuff. You're the, you're the brains of the operation, and your grandkids are watching a grandmother. Your grandkids are watching a grandfather, and they will say when they're teenagers, Grandpa did it. I can do it. You think I'm lying to you? A girl said in my office one day. And she said, why is it wrong, Don? Tell me why it's wrong. My grandma lived with a man. You know what? If they marry, it's going to mess up their money. I said, oh, I'd rather... I, I, terrible to have your money messed up and your grandkids go to hell, isn't it? Oh, but when I retire, I'll get a check that's a third bigger because I'm just living with this guy. Isn't that wise? And the granddaughter says, I'm going to live like a tramp. Because grandma says, there are good reasons for this. There are good reasons for living like a tramp. I'll not use other words. There are children in the room. There are good reasons to live outside God's charges. You know what they are? I mean, I've been married three times. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, if you've been married three times, it doesn't work. I'd look in the mirror for the problem. It messes up our money. Our kids don't get along and they're worried about the inheritance. I've made that so easy for my kids. There is no inheritance. It's gone. 
We spend it. My kids are worried about the inheritance. By the grace of God, we may leave something. But I'm leaving this. Follow Christ. My inheritance is a young boy. Get in the truck. We're going to go for ice cream. And when we're talking with ice cream in our mouth and fries in the other hand, it's a good day, isn't it? I'm going to say, don't you love Jesus? Don't you? Where is it from? He loves you. He's given you a wonderful home. He's given you all that you have. Love him back. If you do what he says, guess what? You'll rise so far above your peers. Does that mean your life is going to be great? They're going to be so jealous. People are jealous. You marry a young girl, you look her in the eyes, you, and I, you stand here and marry some young girl. I want you to know you're talking to her, but the Lord is a witness. And you're making a covenant with God himself. You marry her. Here's what I want you to do for the rest of your life. You come home to your house every night. You come home to your house every night. And when you walk in the door and she's there or she comes in later, but you look at her and you make her know you're so glad she's there. That would revolutionize most marriages. Hey, baby, you're home. Or, where you been? Different. Same question. <laughs> where you been? There's a little distrust in that. and There's a little upset because you're going to make my dinner. And I've got to wait a while. I can't make a sandwich. I only got ten digits here. How could I possibly put two pieces of bread and a piece of meat on there? I can't do that. Where you been? I'm telling the truth to you people today. God says remember your first love and never leave it. It makes a marriage much better and it really makes the Lord able to absolutely reward us. One more time, Zechariah 3 and 7, if thou will walk in my ways, if thou will keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Isaiah 61 and verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. When you get saved, you get a new, you get a new garment. When you get saved, you get a new garment. People don't read this. They don't understand it. When you get saved, you get a brand new garment, the robe of righteousness. Now you're clothed. You're, in, you're enshrouded in the robe of righteousness of Christ. And you know what he's going to say to most people? You got your robe dirty. Why don't you keep your robe clean? Well, I didn't walk in your charge and keep your commandments. I lived my life. He said, I see that. I see that. And when we stand before him, our clothes will be defiled if we didn't follow what he said. And I'm telling you this. I'm glad to know that. I'm glad to know that when the millennial kingdom comes down and Jesus Christ is the king of this world again. When the kingdom comes down and Jesus Christ sits on the throne, he's the light of that place. There's an outer darkness and that is for those people who live with dirty garments. What'd you do? Exactly what I wanted to do. The Lord says, I see that. You're filthy. 
Do you know the millennial kingdom is to put you back and put me back in those robes and clean them up until we go without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? There are Christians today living so far out of God's provision. And I believe with all my heart they're going to die and go right to heaven or go to the place of the, of the blessed. But the rewards are just not going to be there. And Paul says, and John said, and Jesus said, all three of those said this, that we may stand before him one day with confidence. And, and two of them said this, that we'll not be ashamed of his appearing. Can you imagine Jesus being ashamed of his appearing? Now, we're all going to have sin in our life to answer for. But we don't have to stand in filthy garments. How do you get your garments clean? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he doesn't take confession from someone who's saying, I confess this today, planning to do it tomorrow. That's not a confession. That's not repentance. Confession and repentance is this. Oh, Lord, I see that I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, I want to please you, not me. That's repentance, turning the other direction. We're done this morning. I want you to see that with me. It's not a popular message. I don't know why. I don't know why it's not popular. It's great instruction of keeping our garments clean. We were given at salvation a robe of righteousness. You can either have it clean or you can have it filthy. Joshua the high priest had a filthy robe. And the Lord said, I clean that up. I forgive your iniquities. Now here's the thing. Stay clean. Stay clean. Are you mad at me for that? Go ahead. Text me. Tell me I'm, I'm mean. Stand up and put your finger on my nose and tell me you're not going to come back here anymore. I'm going to tell you something. It's a blessing from the Word of God to know the truth and to be told in advance what he's going to put on the test. It's a blessing. The Bible is teaching to the test. I told you everything you need to know. I told you. Would you say this morning, and, and uh, I want to preach till 1.30, just, yeah. Dick wants me to. He said, please, don't go past 1.20. No. <laughs> you're, you're ready to go, I see. I <laughs> Anyway, we're done, but I want to say, I want to ask you a question. If you were asked, not by me, not, if you were asked the question, do you love him? Do you really love God? And if it's the Holy Spirit asking, what could you honestly say? Honestly say, what would he accept? Because he said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And then John said, in 1 John, his commandments are not grievous if you love him. If you love him, it's not a grievous thing to follow his commandments. We're grateful to do it. You know why? We have a flesh that wants. We have a flesh that lusts. We have a body that desires. But we know this from him. He loved me so much that if I do what he says, that's the very best for me. I may not see it. It may not feel right. But if I do what he said, that would be the very best for me, for my marriage, for my children, for my grandchildren, as a neighbor. And when I face him one day, he'll say, 
on the outside. Well done. Can you imagine hearing from 